Today we have a very special show where we discuss the show Watchmen. This episode was recorded before the airing of the last episode, so please enjoy uh, listening to our theories and everything that we talked about. Welcome to the Next Issue Podcast. We're a group of friends that love talking comics and all that it entails. Uh, we're based out of Dallas, so you'll hear us talk about how these comics make up a part of our daily lives, including our local comic shop, conventions, and other forms of entertainment. Welcome. watching it you should if you why the it. hell not um, <laughs> yeah. but HBO's the watchman we're gonna there's been eight episodes um, we're gonna review those eight episodes the season finale is tonight and hosting this will be our own Josh Rose from the next issue podcast hello hello welcome Josh thank you I'm glad to be here thank you for inviting me um, so yes yeah, so uh, the timing of this couldn't be more apropos because... We're a few hours away. Tonight is the season finale of Watchmen. And I thought this would be a great time for us to uh, go back and kind of re- you know consider what's been happening all season. But also, I think, go back a bit further. Because one of the things that came about when they first began promoting this show was they were using very careful language to say... And you had said this earlier that this was a reimagining, right? Um, And then we got a few episodes in, and it is clear it is a direct sequel to the comic, the original comic. And so what I want to do is I think we're all here because, of course, we love Watchmen. Yes. And so my first question to all of you is, how did you first discover the comic, and why is the original comic so important to each of you? I'm trying to remember when I... I think I was gifted the graphic novel like the full bound novel um and it might have been been that printing that with (laughs) that cover um yeah and i i don't remember who gave it to me it it had to have been one of my my uh, comic loving friends who said that this is one of the things because i wasn't into comics in the 90s and i should have been and it just wasn't um something i had grown up with but it was that, and it was Mouse and um, uh, Cavalier and Clay, oh, yeah. and but reading The Watchmen for the first time, I just sat it and I said, "This is one of the most subversive things I've ever read in any medium," and just, I fell in love with it pretty much from jump. How and just because I'm I'm curious, so how old were you when you read it the first time? Uh, twenty three, twenty four. Okay, all right. Fifteen. I bought them off the bought them off the shelf. Okay. Um, didn't know what I was getting. With your fake ID? With my fake ID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just, it, it was one of those things that it was visually appealing yeah. because you had this cover and then the, each cover um, would give you a different taste. But on the back, it's bleeding. And, and yeah, just the covers were excellent. But then as you get to the pages, even without reading, they're visually, I mean, you would see like the nine square panels you would see it you would see the story play out in five panels or four panels um what oh sorry <laughs> um that's a shame that's, yeah. that's we don't change. have that problem with clay usually i know <laughs> it's weird um but yeah i bought them off the shelf and i've bought uh, a digital copy and two hardbacks yeah because <laughs> my first hardback just fell apart so i have another one adrian, adrian? I stopped reading comics because of the X-Men in the early 90s. Um, I wasn't that big in the DC or the Vertigo stuff because it's hard to explain because DC is more like the gods among men and Marvel was more 
of something I could relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I knew the Super Friends. You know, I liked the Super Friends. But as far as reading the comics, Marvel's just where it was at with me. And so I didn't even know the Watchmen existed. I didn't know the Dark Knight existed. So Ooh. and then so I stopped reading comics and when I, well has it long has it been? About six years ago I started reading comics again. So I was in my forties when I read the Dark Knight and I read the Watchmen. Yeah. I read them back to back because I figured they were essential reading because that's what everybody was talking about. Well and they um, and they almost premiered back to back. I mean right. yeah. it was the same year. Eighty six. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so um Reading the Dark Knight, it was great. It was a fun read. Watchmen, one issue in, you knew you were reading something different. Yes. And um, all the little, it was almost, the Watchmen comic, which came out in 86, you said? Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it started in 85, but yeah. it ended in 86. Yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> you're talking about 30-something years ago. Yeah. In a comic book, almost foreshadows storytelling now where you have these TV shows with all these Easter eggs and all the, and all this little supplemental stuff you can go find, um, little bits and pieces, but it had it right there in the comic book, right? Yeah. Well, we end, you had these little, you had these news clippings and stuff like that to where you get more backstory into the, all the characters. Um, could, it had a comic within the comic. Could we, could we bring up image number uh, three, actually? Because it's, it's a... Sorry, it's a way to go, Josh. Yeah, I know. I, I screwed it up already. Um, actually, Adrian screwed it up. Yeah. What? By talking about the tale of the black freedom? <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, fine. It, it, at first, when I was reading, I didn't know why this was in there. Yeah. But that was the hardest on, part for me to understand yeah. was yeah. the black freighter story. Yeah, and then, but when you get towards the end, you realize why it's there, and it's an important story within the story. Yep. And then. Um, all the little news clippings and, and excerpts from books and stuff that they add in as supplemental material all gave a, a depth and a richness. And you realize how much thought and planning and world building went into this book. Yeah. And I think that's why it still resonates today because it was ahead of its time in that world building and the way it delivered it to you in bits and pieces and different chunks and different medias. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it was a great book. Um, when I, I, I was a little weary and skeptical of Watchmen, even though I knew David Lindelof usually brings the goods. Yeah. yeah Cause um, I was really out. Yeah. I was hard out. And, uh, and then you, you have the Watchmen movie, which kind of left a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> I, I liked it. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, liked it. I, I enjoy it. I think, I think the pro. Uh, well, we'll get to it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. But if you read the book, it kind of leaves you wanting more. Yeah, exactly. Um, because of the changes they thought they had to make. Now, if you watch the supercut, it makes a lot makes it a lot better with the it animation does. and the it squid. does. Yeah, in it. Yeah. But um, you just realize how trippy Alan Moore was, how great Dave Gibbons' art was in that yeah. time for that time. Yeah. How great it was, and how great of an artist he still is, because he helped design a lot of the stuff for the new Watchmen TV series. Well, we saw a page of his art in the last uh, episode with Adam and yeah, Eve. With Adam and Eve, and 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 almost it was funny because I immediately recognized it as Gibbons, right. but it looked a little off for as an art historian for trying to be a print from the 15th century. I'm like, oh no 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 no, that looks, <laughs> that looks <laughs> way too cartoony. So You're not fooling not. anyone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Art exactly. snob. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, I what? I, I wear that badge of honor. It's too low. Close. <laughs> so um, you can pull down the image, by the way, if it's still up. Um, oh no, it's not. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> or they're not seeing it to the screen. No, they're not. No, okay. this is over the um, shot. So um, yeah, I was. You know, it's it's funny. I was. I, it's funny how much our histories correspond, Adrian, because I, I was a Marvel kid. I read exclusively Marvel, and the odd occasion I read a DC book as a kid, this would be the early 80s, it always left me cold. It just felt kind of campy and cheesy, and I liked Marvel stuff. And I stopped reading comics uh, as a teenager, and I got back into it very late in high school because my friends were still reading comics. And so I remember it was right about the time I was like 17, uh, my friends... Uh, I think particularly my buddy Glenn was like, hey, you haven't read these key books. You haven't read Dark Knight Returns and you haven't read Watchmen. And he lent them to me. I read them just like you. I read them back to back. And I remember the key thing was 
reading Watchmen with all of that ancillary material, halfway through you start realizing, I have to work for this. Yes. And comics, even comics being published in that time, like mainstream superhero comics, you they were, and I don't say this in a bad way, but they were entertainment. You sat down, you read an issue, you got done, you're like, that was fun. Everything was It was just a consumable. Right. And then you read Watchmen, you're like, I gotta think about this shit. Like, you know, and like, you have to go back and yes, and and even you know, two or three issues back, it's like, wait a minute, yeah. where did this come from? And you go back to yep. find the genesis of it. Yep. You, you mentioned the Easter eggs earlier, exactly the same way. Well, and it's fitting that David Lindelof would be the person to film it because Lost was filled with Easter eggs, commercials that weren't commercials. You could <laughs> dig online. You had a you had so many different things that you could tie into that. It, it kind of seems like he was a student of more. Yeah, well, and he, and he has said in the uh, official podcast that um, to him, this book was basically the Bible. Yeah, the right. show Bible. Yeah, as they were working on the show. And so uh, all of the Easter eggs, I think, in the show that refer back to the book are to be true to the book. And when I say Easter eggs, I don't just mean references. I mean tone. I mean... Uh, kind of narrative arcs you know we were discussing kind of before the show how there are moments in episodes that you know so the funeral Pull from the book yeah the funeral in episode two is, is issue two issue two or three the date night i didn't even pick up on this the most recent one the date night is osterman's date in the or- original book with janie with janie yeah it just it's it's phenomenal well, how I well mean, they've done um, this stuff i guess it can't be a spoiler but in the beginning of the Watchmen uh, graphic novel, there's a guy holding up the world is nigh, yeah. or the end is here, um, and then we realize it's Rorschach, and then there's a guy holding a, a total opposite sign in episode one when she's walking to Miss Saigon yeah. um, to her bakery shop. Um, that the future's bright. That the future's bright. And um, can we just talk about the... Uh, no. Okay. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, you pulling Adrian? I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> this won't be nearly as tight as right. as the last but, uh, segment. No, um, the way they open up the series with a piece of history that not many Americans know about. Yeah, and essential history, by yeah. the yes. way. Yes. Um, I had so many people come up to me at work because I'm the I'm the nerd guy. Yeah. So they're like, "Did you watch that Watchmen show last night?" Yeah. What did you think of that opening scene? What, what, what did that have to do with anything? I go, well, it's important. And they're like, I, I go, I thought that it was great that they were able to add real history into this fictional world that they're creating. And they're like, what do you mean really? I go, that actually happened. Yeah. And they're like, no. I'm like, yeah. I go, now, don't get me wrong. That, that episode was buried by the city of Tulsa, by the state of Oklahoma, no one talked about it. Most people forgotten about it until what was it, nineteen ninety five? People started digging up and finding stuff about it and wanted to retell that story. But they were like, so they just was it hyperbolic? I that was one of the questions. Was it hyperbolic? I go, what do you mean? And they're like, well, the airplanes and throwing bombs down. I go, no, that it really happened. happened. Yeah. And they're like, really? I go to give you an idea of the kind of wealth that the white people in that neighborhood were jealous about. Mm-hmm. In the city of Tulsa, I believe there was eight private airplanes owned. Five of them were owned by black families. Out of the eight. Yeah. And um, they were still outnumbered 10 to 1 as far as whites to blacks. But the black neighborhood consumed about 35 square blocks of the city of Tulsa. And they burned Burned it it. to the ground. gone. And the sad part about it is there were black businesses, there were black homes. They couldn't rebuild because the insurance companies wouldn't take their claim. Um, the little things about the news was that, you know, maybe 15 people died. Going back and checking history, it's more along the lines of 300 people died that day. The, those 24 hours right. that, that the riots went on. Um, and it just shocked me and surprised me that they actually brought that. They had the balls to bring that up in a major... Not not only in it's just a throwaway piece as far as a throwaway scene within the series. No, this is yeah, be, it, uh, people are going to watch it because it's the Watchmen. People need something to replace Game of Thrones. It's HBO. 
eyeball's going to tune in. Let's go ahead and hit you over the head with some history America doesn't want to talk about. And, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, as, as integral as Moore's look at fascism was right, in yeah. the original Watchmen, this tackles racism in America in a way that I don't think anybody was prepared for yeah. coming no. into yeah, this. No. And not just the not just the Tulsa bit, but uh, Redford Parations, right. or yeah. uh, however you pronounce it, because I, I, I always get a syllable Red, in. Redfordation. Redfordation, yeah. yeah. I've seen and, the name first. And, then and can you imagine, I mean, you don't have to imagine, because you see the mental impact that has on, um, uh, on, uh, on whites who feel entitled and having to deal with you know right. an actual series of reparations and well, and the argument that we're having now mm-hmm. with you know going back to slavery and reparations for right. that and it it astounds me again in a major production that HBO will command the narrative for right and and, and I, I do not want to hijack your show I just love no, the no, show no. so much and I've done that's so why, much research that's why you're on, on here show. Yeah. but. Okay, so two things. One, the detail that goes into this, right? Yeah. So the whole racism angle actually comes from Rorschach's journals. Yep. The actual journals mm-hmm. that came from the original right. uh, comic. Um, because there were some bits of racism and anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in those journals. Yeah. And they just build, they built their world off of that. And then... Um, to hear David Lindelof talk about, I heard him in an interview, he talked about how they came up with Red Fredations and how they would work. So that he had a writer's room, like one does. Um, they broke off, split down the middle. Half of them played Republicans, half of them played Democrats. Oh. They went through the process of writing a bill to see how this would work and then vote on it. And this is what they came up with, and that was their Bible on how reformations would work within That's the amazing. series. That's amazing! Wow. That's how much detail went into this yeah. sh- this show. How long was this in development? I have no idea. They, I, he didn't talk about that. I don't think it was in development that long. Yeah, was I don't, it? I don't it was think after so. The leftovers. He started working, or or was it during the leftovers? He started working. I don't know, but I'm I'm sure he, on some level he's wanted to adapt it in some way because someone's has tried to adapt it every decade. Well, and he and and he said in one of the official podcast episodes that he has wanted to do this for since he was a kid. Since he was a kid, yeah. Like, and I love that idea because most people say Watchmen's unfilmable, and he's like, I'm going to write a sequel. Okay, and all right. So, 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 to to all of these points, one of the things I find fascinating about the new show is how race is such a core component to it. Right. And 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 I love what you're saying, Adrian, about the fact that starting with the Tulsa race riots isn't just a way to draw viewers in. It is a core critical component to the entire narrative of the show. Right. It's not throwaway. It's not there for no, shock value. That one incident yeah. in history that history forgot. Yeah, and and so this got me thinking because uh, as I was putting together this uh, uh, this panel, Clay sent me uh, a video about the long lost uh, 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 Paul Greengrass attempt at making a Watchmen film in the early two thousands, and one of the things I found interesting there was how he wanted to take the tone and the ideas in Watchmen and update them to the war on terror. You know, so he was going to, the real world stuff, the ancillary material he was going to pull in was going to be things like Bush talking about the war on terror and, and all this stuff. And so I'm curious, and, and so to me, this is what makes the Snyder film a little disappointing, is he he takes Lindelof's idea of this being Bible to an extreme, as I think Snyder often does, which is, I'm not going to deviate from this one bit, right? Except at the very end. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, and so I think that, that because he does that, it feels like just trans, it, it, it's Moore's, Alan Moore's worst fear, mm-hmm. translating the untranslatable into a different medium, right? Yeah, right? So I'm curious about, with Greengrass's, I think, understanding of let's update this for the time period, and then Lindelof clearly doing that by raising the idea of our ongoing, if anything, worse festering ideas about race now right. in the 21st century. 
how did you all respond to that in terms of, I mean, is Watchmen as a concept that mutable or does it need to be locked into the 80s when it was first created? No, I think, and this is going to be a, a, a theory and an opinion that a lot of people won't like, but they talked about how Watchmen was unadaptable to, to modern era. And I think that is a cop-out. What Watchmen is, if you take it at its core, dealing with things that we, like in the 80s when it was written, it dealt with issues that they didn't really want to talk about. And it was easier for him because Alan Moore's from the UK, right? He could care less about what Americans think about his writing, right? And what he brings up and what he, what Americans had to face reading that. But you get an American author in today's society let's talk about racism no one really wants to talk about racism it was so buried that everybody thought it was over with and then we elected a black president and whoa yeah um wait we elected a black president yeah yeah (laughs) robert redford was black no not (laughs) i'll blame it on the chemo so um but yeah i do um, it all the time yeah but i mean they talk about you know um they're dealing with in, in this show. They're dealing with um, race. They're dealing with the evils and the vicelessness of technology, um, because they're still using pagers. There's no internet in this show, right? Right. Um, Pedipedia. Yeah. And then um, my concern is DNA. Right. Did y'all think about that when you had to supply DNA to get right. redpredations? And yeah. oh, I did yeah. not think about that. The yes. government holding on to your DNA. Yeah. No one well, is that the about government, you? or is that true doing that for the government? Probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah. They talk about governmental control because we kind of know now that the squid. We know that from the book that the squid monster attack was faked. Right. But yet, thirty years later. We're still getting baby squids dropped on the dropped on the public, mm-hmm. so we know that there's some kind of governmental control angle here, um, because the government's allowing it because of the video that Byte sent to Redford. That the government knows that this is oh, all fake, okay. but right. not I, a I lot of the that. government. I mean, it's I mean, a it, really guarded secret. It's yeah. still the government. It's the highest echelons of the government. It's like Area 51. Yeah. Yeah, but the but the crazy thing about that is that being true mm-hmm. in the world of Watchmen fulfills every crackpot conspiracy theory we have right. in the world, right? It's like that is the conspiracy theory and it is the truth in and the Watchmen world. You know what? And if you dig deeper, it, this show also talks about imperialism. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we uh, Vietnam's a United States. Yeah. Um and how does that work exactly? Yeah, I know. They, you think they, getting they, stuff they, to Hawaii is hard. Yeah. They do gloss over that a little bit. Yeah, so. they do gloss yeah. over. Um, no, we just got a new flag. Yeah. <laughs> um, I find it funny that how um, racists in our actual world use the Confederate flag, an older flag, as their emblem. How the 7th Cavalry uses the today's American yeah, flag. the 50-state flag. The 50-state flag as their symbol. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of hilarious. Although, it's still a flag, and unlike the Confederate flag, which is a sign of treason, but, you know, they still use it. Um, this show is just, it's very deep. And you, we could sit here and talk for like 13 hours about how deep this show goes. And I think it's a credit to Lindelof and his writer's room. Well, and, and I hadn't thought of it until, like, I would I would be really curious to see the entire staff of his writer's room. Because until you mentioned the fact that you know, more as a UK writer is writing this very American story. Here mm-hmm. we have Lindelof as a, you know, straight white man mm-hmm. writing a story about race. And he said that the, you know, inspiration for this was reading Ta-Nehisi Coates's Between the World and Me. Yes. And it opening his eyes to all of this. Right. But it is fascinating that we also have this other outsider writing so cogently about about. This well, I mean, these, these issues. We think we're we're so in this country. We we're so America is the best. America, nothing gets better than America. That we think less of what other countries think, and that they can't think on a higher level than we do. Yeah. But if you talk to someone from another country, they fully understand what's going on here in this country. Yeah. And they don't have to live here to get to that, right? So, um, Alan Moore. Uh, 
writing about that and being as intelligent as Alan Moore is and in, in tune, obviously in tune with, he was able to write something that stands the test of time 35 years later, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, and what Lindelof is doing, adapting that and turning it to, because like I was telling um, someone earlier today, number one set the tone. I thought it was a good episode. Yeah. Uh, two through three was because you go, you went into it. Is this a sequel? You know, it, it can't be a sequel. And you still have those questions. And at the end of episode one, episode two, they introduce Lori. You know yep. this is that's a, the you know this you know. is a sequel yeah. at this point. Yeah. So two and she three. takes the name Blake. Yeah. Yeah. She, which is they still haven't addressed that, but yeah. It's in PDP. PDP. Yeah, that yeah. she's kind of adopted her father's views yeah. and that everything's a joke and so she's kind of the comedian in this world well yeah. and, and she actually for a period uh, operated under the comedian yeah, as the comedian. her superhero name so yeah. and so two three and four uh, issues two three and four were world building episodes yeah and then you get to five and from five through eight five six seven and eight you can honestly take a look at five and say at that time that's probably the best episode of television period of the year yeah and then you get to six and six and eight to me will go down it depends on how they f they stick the landing in nine in which we have history with that of Lindolph <laughs> sticking the landing but six and eight and for different reasons are probably neck and neck for best episode of the year because yeah. the way it was shot you you have one character seeing another character's world through the eyes of that character mm -hmm. as that character, right? Yep. And it's all in black and white and transitions are just phenomenal and they still add more world real world mm -hmm. history in it like the cop that, you know, actually gave him his badge. Yeah. was the first black police oh, officer. Oh, I didn't know that. York. That's fascinating. Yes. That was the actual guy. Okay. And so, um, and, the, and there's some theories on who the guy who owned the deli store, oh, who uh -huh. that is in real life. And I won't, I don't want to start no issues, so I won't talk about <laughs> what the theory is. But it, it's just, it's just fascinating. And then, then the whole, after that episode, I actually had um, a theory of my own. What if they actually had that mind control? Um, Cyclops, that 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 technology in 1921, and if they did, oh. does that explain the Tulsa massacre? Oh. I think there's a direct link to that. I think you, right. if you, if you go back and rewatch one, was, and I'm because be of doing the, that, as well, as well, because the theatrical, you see them in the theater, right, right. and and um, um, the mother is playing. Right, the, then, the 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 silent yeah. film score. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you that was Cyclops. It was a test run of the technology. But the only person in the theater was, was well that, was the boy at that point. Okay, Everybody else right. ran out screaming into the streets and uh, starting the fuss. So that that raises the question: Did in the Watchmen universe did the Tulsa race riots begin because the wrong audience saw the film? Like they're testing Cyclops and they test on a white audience instead of a black audience. Hence, the race riots. Oh, man. And that just came to me as you yeah. were saying that. So. Well, I mean, it'd be kind of hard. I think because, the answer is yes. Oh, wow. Well, it's kind of hard because if, it, if Cyclops is being run by the Klan, right. many of the people we saw visually mm -hmm. during those riots were the Klan. How yep. did they actually do it to themselves? I think that we're going to get a lot of that connective tissue in the season finale right. because we still don't know how they're going to use Dr. Manhattan to make a bunch of baby Manhattans, whatever the hell that's going to wind up being. Oh, while baby it, Manhattan's going to be the new uh, pop culture phenom of the... Baby Manhattan versus Baby Yoda <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in a three fall well, match. Well, they've already said it, right? So in episode eight, I thought what was great about episode eight was that we, the way it was edited, we actually got to see a TV show the way Dr. Manhattan sees life. Okay, I want to explore this a bit. Yeah, and, but yeah. he said in, in, the, in the 
in the uh, bar. I could probably transfer my powers into this egg. You could eat it and have that and have my powers. I guarantee you that's how they're going to try to get this done. That's interesting. Yeah. Waffles? Yeah, he was making waffles right at the end. Okay, so I want to go back to this because the thing that blew me away about episode eight, and you just brought up Adrian, I was reading headlines that said the same thing, is there was a little bit of schadenfreude. Not schadenfreude. Um, Well, yeah, a bit of people saying that Moore's famously unfilmable comic was not only achieved but surpassed in episode eight. So if we could put up image one, one of the things, one of the instances in Watchmen that's often pointed out as why that comic is unfilmable is in issue four. It's the famous Dr. Manhattan origin story. Yes. And it, it's called The Watchmaker. And it begins with him on Mars. And the way, and I'm, I'm not the first to say, is numerous people reading it and critics and historians have all pointed this out. When you read the pages in that, the way that you see sequences that go in order, but then the captions and the text take you back to a certain time, but also, when you look at it, and this is why I hate Guided View, when you look mm-hmm. at a comics page in totality, you are Dr. Manhattan. You can go backward and forward in time in the way that he perceives time. So one of the great accomplishments of Watchmen, Kyle is shaking his head, one of the great achievements no, Kyle. of Watchmen is that in that moment, not only are Moran Gibbons able to present how Dr. Manhattan experiences time, but he but they give the reader that same ability, right? And that was initially when I was reading these headlines about how episode eight achieved it, I was a little put off because I'm like, no, it, it doesn't because it's still you're still a passive person until the moment, until the moment when uh, I almost said Lori, when Angela realized she goes, oh shit, is this all me? And she realizes she is the one that has generated everything going back to the start. Yeah, Because right. she's the one that told her grandfather about Judd, right? It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I realize in that moment, what they achieve in that e- episode is not just being able to show us how Dr. Manhattan perceives time, but how much we as mere mortals can f- screw it up. And create a paradox for yes. it. Right. That and and why can't he see that? Because being in love with her means giving up his powers for ten years and being immortal. So how much of the chicken and the egg is it? Because you look yeah, at his relationship well, he's and he's incapable of having a human emotional attachment. And yet yeah. to to carry out and get to this point where he has fallen in love, he's been in love for ten years, he's been in a relationship and at the end of it, he comes back out, is then able to see time again, mm-hmm. and knows that he is going to die. I'm going to put finger quotes on it because I still don't think motherfucker's dead. Um, because comics. Yeah. Sorry, Rob. Because I know. I know. I'm not in. <laughs> so um, I sincerely want to understand how they wriggled out of that. Well, and so this takes me back to something. So earlier, before we started, Kyle was very upset (laughs) about the fact that why does Dr. Manhattan at the end of the episode allow himself to die when he could just blip the cannon away? And I would point out... Well, yes. But I would would also point out that I think, and it just struck me, I I think the reason... I think the reason he falls in love with her in that moment is because what she is doing is human, right? She knows there's no way to save him and she still goes to save him. And that's what he's in love with because as Dr. Manhattan, he can't know that. And I think that's why he doesn't stop the inevitable because what he loves about her is her humanity. <laughs> he stops Warshak from leaving with and telling the world what Ozymandias was trying to do in the movie and, and, or the comic book in be, general. Because Ozymandias, Ozymandias backs him into a corner. He basically he gives him a choice as a god of and either. He has a choice as a god. Oh, I can still have more years with this girl. Let me just blip this damn cannon out of the <laughs> out of existence. <laughs> no, because he that, he can't. That's not how that happens. Because he sees the totality of time, 
he knows that what that's will what happen. he does. He knows oh, that he's yeah. stuck. And it's the same thing yeah. with Angela. And that's where, yeah. <laughs> and again, it's a paradox. Right, it's a okay. paradox because if he does not go to that bar and convince Angela to go out on the oh, date mm-hmm. with him, then in the end of it, he is not captured by the cavalry because that's the way it has always happened. Oh, I see. And again, the so chicken and the egg. he's got to set that up. Yes. Like, right, okay. Bar. Exactly, yeah. But all right, but, to but is that, it a, is it oh an God, emotional you're right. It is a yeah. paradox. This is more of a better explanation of what time travel is than anything that Avengers Endgame or <laughs> Back to the Future ever did. Right. And Die Hard. Because, uh, well, Die Hard is always going to be Die Hard, Which and, one? and, and, and uh, <laughs> Gruber is always going to fall off Nakatomi Tower. You look at this holistic view of time right. that Lindelof has set and 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 Alan Moore did as well because yeah. again it's it is the character it is the way that it is drawn and these are the rules of the sandbox mm-hmm. and Lindelof not only follows it but follows it better than any other storyteller I think has done so yeah sorry I've been sitting back with this question for a while and I just want to know because we're talking about the multiverse and a lot of other topics but so the TV series is a direct sequel to the comic book. Yes. But yet Doomsday Clock is a direct sequel to the comic book. Well. <laughs> so where does this split? I mean, where does we have two different divergent timelines coming from Watchmen? Well, I mean, we... Uh, <laughs> it's pretty simple. I mean, it's going to probably get convoluted later on. <laughs> but Simple guys. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is a comic Later on, meaning This is a TV show. And we have a Doomsday comic book. Doomsday Clock is a comic book. Yeah, I know. And... In that case, both of them can be one and the same. And the two were not developed under the same umbrella. No, either. that either. Well, I mean, Doomsday Clock was supposed to be wrapped up what a year and a half yeah. ago. I mean, it was you know probably before this Ish. was ever really really being worked on. So, so do you think if they if the writers are looking at this going, well, damn it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> why are, why are we here, man? Right. Because right. <laughs> has Doomsday Clock happened and he goes back in time and now we're getting the TV series? I really don't think that they're in the same continuity. I mean, I did. I'd love to see it. I did. Yeah. Be- before the series started, I, I made a, a crazy prediction that Doom that Doomsday Clock was going to be a way to wrap into the series. You know, so. That would be a bold move. It, it, it would be. It would be. I don't think they're going to do I, yeah, it. Yeah, they've but. never. I don't think Marvel or DC has ever synchronized their printing with their. Uh, well, hell, Marvel DC. hasn't synchronized Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> No, this comes right back to Crisis. Why was Earth-96 the uh, Kingdom Come, even though it's the Donnerverse? I think it's the Kingdom Come comic book universe, so why is this still 96? That's still tying the comic books with the actual TV shows. All right, my head just exploded. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I can't do that. It. It's not just so, chemo. So um, I have... Um, well, so, all right, so I have... All right, uh, I will confess, this is my first Lindelof. I, I didn't watch Lost. I've only heard I, of... I did not watch Lost either. The leftovers. Lost but, is fun. Leftover yeah. season one is tough. Okay, it's a hard watch, but getting to season three, yeah, and and just to the to the wrap up of the series, you can see that Lindelof is a very singular storyteller in televised entertainment. There there are very few people who have his ability to weave a yarn, and. It's just stunning. Well, so I guess here's my question, because he gets a lot of flack for how Lost ended. The Alien film, apparently, as well, was a hot mess. How much was his vision imposed upon by the studios, by, you know... I I don't think in Lost, anything. Not in Lost, I mean... But yeah, because they were trying to stretch that out, so like season three was filler. Who was they, though? Right. Wasn't Lost Bad Robot? Yeah. Yes. So, didn't J.J. Abrams have some kind of say in this? He was an exec producer on it and um, helped with the development of the series, but by the time they got to pilot in episode two, J.J. had moved on. It it was Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof. The other trick of it is knowing where the series was going to end. So, they figure out in the end of season four that they were going to wrap it up, they were going to have two more seasons, and then that's it. That allowed them to be able to say, okay, we've been treading water, we've been introducing characters, these characters aren't working, here's the end game, let's go. 
Now, the whole purgatory thing and the rest of it, as somebody who is a Damon Lindelof apologist, and unabashedly so, <laughs> there are a lot of things, if you go back to look at the first two seasons, and you'll know that Lindelof lies. Yeah. He lied to us in the run-up to Watchmen, yeah, telling us that it was... I was just about to say, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you guys were... You know, going back and forth on whether it was a direct sequel. I knew at the end of episode one it was a direct sequel. Oh, interesting. Just from the squid fall alone, right. I knew that it was. Right, right. okay, yeah. I, I, so I, I brought that up because I think what makes me hopeful for tonight is it feels like, and again, I can't speak for this, but it feels like with The Leftovers, he was given complete control. And it certainly is apparent that with Watchmen, he was given complete control. Like, just do what you want. I think at this point, you know, this year for DC and Warner Brothers has been them realizing, oh, our attempt at a Marvel-style extended universe was terrible. Let's just give it to creators, right? Yeah. And they've done pretty well. You know, look at Joker, look at yeah. uh, and this. And so I feel like if he has complete control, no interference, and he has said, like, he's working very tightly with his... Um, writer's room yeah. i i am hopeful he's gonna pull this off can yeah. you imagine the pitch meeting where he where, where he takes this into right. the hbo well, and dc yeah. offices and says here's what i want to do and, and well, lays it out here's the thing that, that amazes me um we know he lies but even from the <laughs> studio's perspective this was built as a one and done mm -hmm. which i'm more on board with now uh, I, I one am season too. and done. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. To be, it was supposed to be just one season and done. I am too. I'm, I'm uh, on board with so, that. So um, now we know that it's going to be an ongoing series. So do I'm not we? Sure if he, yeah. Do we? There's not there's not been a season two announced. Okay. And the Twitter oh, account said nothing ever ends. No. Sure, but that could mean anything. Right. I don't. I, but, you know. You know my rule. I don't believe that it's actually in production. Until either we get an official announcement or we see a set photo. Well, and there is and there is something really, really like it. It struck me last week when I looked up how long is the season. I wasn't sure yet. Yeah. I saw nine episodes and I thought nine panels to a page. <laughs> like there's yes. something really beautiful about that. And yes. So, like I said, there's so much detail that went into this series, and I, I look forward. I, I probably will not be able to watch it tonight, and it pisses me off that I. Oh no! I got Same. Work at six I am man. I'm gonna be messaging you while it's on. You'd be so mad. Yeah. Um, but think of all the threads they have to wrap up in nine. If it's they do, they do. Done, they have a right? lot of threads. So yeah. when we last see Adrian Vite, he gets a birthday cake, and I think it's either seven, seven, or six, six or seven. But we know it's been 10 years since he's been gone. Mm -hmm. So what's he been doing in those three years if he shows back up, which he's got to show back up, or why he showed the TV show within a TV show, right? Well, not only that, but also um, he makes the, uh, the the little message on Europa. Yeah, come save me. And so um, we know he's going to get saved. Um, I think Trues' daughter. Yeah. Um, we still don't know how Will found out about uh, Don Johnson's character. Um, we still got to wrap up. No, we do. No, we don't. That's the paradox. That's the, we don't. The paradox, right? Right. He didn't know about about Judd because she asked him to ask him about Judd Crawford. Right. No, it happened right then. No, but during we don't the know episode, how he found out though. I get tired head, man. <laughs> okay, Freaking so paradox. In episode one, we know that he knows Judd Crawford is uh, Cyclops. He's a clan member, right. and that's why he hangs on. Although he may be wrong yeah, about that. He may be wrong about right, that. Right. But we're in episode eight, and we still don't know how he found out. We found out how he knew about Judd Crawford in the first place, but we don't know about the journey on how he got to freaking Tulsa and found out all this information, right? Um, okay, all right, okay. There was, a, there was a quote from Lindelof after episode eight ran and they were saying are you going to be able to wrap all this up in one episode and he says that is the best concern that any viewer can have is how are they going to get this out which makes me think two things number one they have another arc planned but they are going to have some sort of resolution to 
at least part of the storyline and continue it. Well, we hope yeah. because again, we there's nothing announced, so nothing at all. Have a way to end it in case it doesn't come back, but yet have they already have a story right, planned. which is how the original comic ends. And 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 you got me thinking. Uh, they don't. They have effectively wrapped up Vite's story, because if you think about the way the comic ended, which is Rorschach dies, but it is his diary that lives on, his journal that lives on. Well, if everyone thinks Vite is dead and they see his message on Europa, then that is the message left behind for the next story, right? It's like, right. oh God, there maybe this. Who is on Europa, right? What is? And they'll probably think it's Doctor Manhattan because right. he's the only one that can travel between planets so um i find it interesting that he says he dies but in the trailer for episode nine dr manhattan is in there and he's in a cage alive well they said they were going to teleport him that was yeah yeah because he knew right he knew what was going to happen right yeah he he just says what he's foreseen is they are going to teleport him without his consent Mm. right like you know so i i love the scene uh, when he's talking to Will, a younger but yet older Will. Yeah. Um, and Will's, everybody knows what Dr. Manhattan can do, and we think we know how he thinks and sees things and how he sees everything because he's a god. But then he asks him a certain question. He goes, I don't know. He goes, what? Yeah. I don't know because there's like this blank spot yeah. in my mind. I, I can't see that. Yeah. And then we know why he can't see it because of the device yep. we put in his head, and that's all been blank. And I found that just the writing and those little bitty minor details yeah. is just so spot on in this show. And it's probably one of the reasons why I love this show so much is all the little minor details. I I will confess, you know, usually after each episode, I go straight to Pedipedia, and I was like there has got to be like I'm loading it up thinking there's got to be some sort of document or backstory here because we gloss over the fact that Captain Metropolis leaves his town home to Will well his fortune to Will and I wonder <laughs> if he used that flashlight to yep. him into doing yeah. it oh yeah there's no doubt in my mind oh, that he does see, yeah, I, yeah see, especially I, after that phone call I yeah. read it entirely different way I was like oh maybe they made up and like no, you, don't you know up. like yeah no, I had this you I don't come this, back I was, from that. I was all lovey-dovey from the rest of the episode. <laughs> so, um, Have you watched this show? <laughs> <laughs> I may have missed one. No, no, no. <laughs> and I'm gonna, there's one thread I want solved, and I don't think anybody's talking about it, and it's probably one of my most interesting threads that I'm looking forward to. Where's Looking Glass? Oh, I think uh, people are talking about that. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Because that's many people talk about it. But yeah. th- I mean, it's just a, a minor little scene with Petey mm-hmm. in episode seven that Looking Glass survived what happened in episode five. Right. And but so there's well, an interesting count because there are four Rorschachs that go in, and there are five bodies when Petey's in that room. So we haven't figured out what the difference is there and why. Well, and then in the most recent Petypedia, he talks a bit about discovering this little known zine about based on this in 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 world novel that's very dense which my god you know it's watchmen <laughs> if um, that's dense yeah 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 <laughs> and and how pd himself had submitted something to it and the issue that he submitted to is in looking glasses bunker and so it's this weird like like cyclical so, right. kind of thing going on. Because so. Looking Glass is probably one of my favorite characters. He's great. He is so good. Um, His world's been destroyed. I just, yes. I'm just i very curious how that's going to play out because this is Every a guy... Every single thing that you believe yeah. is wrong. Is wrong. Uh, and when he goes back to get that alarm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I just want to know where that's headed because that's, that's, that's a thing and then all of a sudden we see the Rorschach show up. So... Mm-hmm. How does he survive, and what's his mental state? I wonder if that actually saves him. Like, because he goes back for it. Like, the idea of, like, oh, I can't live without, like, it's all crap. I don't need this. And he goes back, he's like, I still need it, you know? Like, the thing. You have to keep the the construct of your brain intact with it. Right, but ironically, the thing that he thinks is going to save him saves him in a different way. That'd right, be, that'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah, that would be really nice. Um, so we just have a few minutes left. What I we're kind of going there anyway. What do we think is going to happen tonight? How do we? I mean, I this is the moment. We have a few know, hours. Here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. I love with great storytelling is I 
there's some things I when a story's pretty good, I don't mind being spoiled because I just want to get to how the writer got to that ending. Yeah. Um, but when you get to great storytelling, I don't want to know. I, I don't want to guess. I just want the storyteller to tell me the story. And so I've, I've other than there's things I want to see, or there's things I know need to happen that need to be answered. Yeah. They don't necessarily need to be answered right then. Um, but I want the storyteller to just tell me that story. I mean, everything, like I said, from episode one has been great, but ever since episode five, it's been fantastic. Yeah. So why do I want to screw that up in my head canon by putting all these demands on them? Just go ahead and let me get home and let me watch episode nine tonight and let them tell me what's going to happen. This is the problem with Star Wars fans and Star Trek fans <laughs> and people who have their own theories as to how things should go and just let the people work. This is right, why right, we've yeah. invested this time in there, and it's not to write the damn story ourselves. It's to let them do the work. But, well, okay, but, <laughs> but going back to my original comment about what made the comic so great is you had to work at it. Yeah, You yeah. couldn't just be passive. So I, 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 will, I will throw out there, and I was saying this to Clay earlier, but I, I've actually, as we've been talking, revised it a bit. When True shows up the first time, and you start getting little tiny hints about the clock, my and, and the fact that Will was there with her, they know each other. My initial thought was the Millennium Clock is somehow being set up to go back in time and undo the Tulsa race riots. Now I'm thinking, uh, yeah, okay, it may still do that, but it's going to come down to an argument between Will, who has an, a vested interest in wanting to go back and stop it because his parents live, right, and his granddaughter, who now sees the problem if one mortal makes a decision. Because she said one thing to, you know, to uh, uh, her lover 10 years ago, and it is just dominoed to her, one of her best friends and boss dying, right? Like, all this stuff. So I think if that is the case, it's going to come down to this, like, really philosophical argument about we can change the course of history, but what happens if that one moral decision is wrong? Mm. Right. I don't know. So I'm going to go on record and say that's what I think is going to happen. I'm going to be 1,000% okay. incorrect. Okay, my, my theory my theory is that uh, because we see the race riots uh, at the beginning, we, mm -hmm. we get that when she takes the nostalgia. But I want to draw from the book for a moment when, when I think one of the magazines says, Dr. Manhattan is a god and he's an American. You know, oh, yeah. I have a feeling that we may get a different God, and I think it's going to be Angela and maybe the three kids. Uh, and I think what's going to happen is they're going to be superpowered in in the ability that Angela has all these memories that have been put in her head. What if she was made... It, what if she could put that out to people to, to go through that, to, to oh. make that feel like part of their history and what it does to them and how she can I don't know if it's create empathy through violence but if she puts that in their head like they were on the receiving end of that violence. That is some trippy stuff. That man. Is. Because yeah. I will also go to Lady True who is giving those same memories of torture and oh, war yeah. to her, her daughter. daughter. That's right. And to an elephant. Yes. <laughs> oh, crap. What if the Millennium Clock is just a variation of the Cyclops technology? And it's doing exactly what you just said. And so a mesmer that just it casts all over the world? Broadcast to everyone. It's like the, like the uh, moon towers. Well, and oh, yeah? to yeah. go back to my theory that Vite is her father, she was like, I'm cloning my mother to bring her back. And then you're like, what about your dad? He'll be here. And so yeah. I think he fell from the sky to the Clark farm. And that's what she got. And that's yeah. why she bought the farm. But this is why. Th this you is mean why the Kent farm? Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, I think your theory is better than mine, Clay, except for the fact that I think it's still going to come down to Angela being human. Simply because of the fact that the first book is all about the the the, 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 the 
yeah, thank you, of of a mortal being Vite, right? Vite is the one mortal man who says, I know how to solve the world's ills. I'm going to fabricate this event, and it's going to solve everything. And he ends up being wrong, right? Right. Like most people are when you try to solve a problem like exactly. that. Exactly. And, and yet there's also Dr. Manhattan, who is equivalent of a god, and he's wrong because he can't perceive what it means to be human. And so I think it's going to come down to that tension, right, between those two things. But God damn it, you're right. The freaking clock is a transmitter. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, mean, I want to believe that. But then I also believe that Angela's way of life, her views, and because we do get that in an intimate moment with one of the kids where it's like, right, yeah, yeah life is not all uh, rainbows and lollipops. Yeah. So, it is. Yeah. yeah, so to have that... And, and to express that to a kid. I mean, those kids have gotten some pretty, but she, but she's speaking, pretty intense. She's speaking specifically to her eldest child, who she knows that is going to. That's that kid's kind of outlook of the world. Yeah. I, I have a question for the panel. Um, I know it'd be hard to pick what is your favorite episode. What's your favorite scene? Because I have a favorite scene. I think it defines what Watchmen is and what it can be. Well, I do have a favorite episode. It is episode eight because it is. It, there are very few pieces of television, an hour-long drama, that have been able to so succinctly tell a story in a complete and 360-degree way. I mean, you got that with the constant from Lost. Yep. You got that with um, the final episode of The Prisoner. And I really mm, yeah. think that there are so few achievements like that. And for it to be the penultimate episode of the season, yeah. I I mean, I I was floored. I was I was in Los Angeles and I had stopped down everything I was doing. I left the rap party for the con to go upstairs and watch the episode. And I couldn't have made a better choice. That episode left me breathless. Right. I would have said um, the nostalgia episode just because right. we, we were, I was watching it with my wife. We were halfway through it and I turned to her and said, there's no cuts. This has been no. one long shot. Like it if you watch it carefully, yeah, it goes. just, I mean, it, it, it kind of pulls that Birdman thing where there's clearly like a shot where a transition, the, to a, a, a transition, but it's so subtle. You're not meant to pick up on it. Yeah. Because Angela would step in a lot of the time yep, and, exactly. and it would be flawless. You would mm -hmm. not even oh, see it. Or you'd get the moment where it's, it, it's Angela and it would pan away and then it would pan back and it would be the actor playing young Will. Right. right? And again, it was completely seen. I mean, it would, and, and, I turn around as like I will not be surprised if this episode wins an award right. until episode eight. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, to me, it is every scene with Lori Blake. Oh, she yeah. shines, and she shines in everything she does. Right. She is at like one bajillion in this series. She is so good. Can, can I tell you my favorite scene? Yes. And it's one that you should know because you're the one that told me about it. Because uh, um, it's the Colossus, I, isn't it? No, it is. Uh, <laughs> Lady True going to the Kent farm. Yeah. That is, she didn't raise oh. her voice. Yep, yep. She didn't say anything okay. threatening. It's chilling. She, it is the most terrifying <laughs> scene <laughs> on the show. Yeah. And she just sat there like a little demure little China yep. doll yep. and just told them, this is how it's going to be. This is what you get. Oh, yep. you don't want it? Okay, I can take it away. But bringing a baby. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I already got you it. what you wanted. Yeah. Look. <laughs> oh, and. And but I can do something else with this it. This is not if a negotiation. You, right, yeah, it's not if you a don't, negotiation. If you don't want it, I'll just destroy it. Like I said, no, it's I'm the most kidding. terrifying I won't, you know. scene in television. <laughs> I'll, I, shove, I just, I'll shove the dog down yeah, the incinerator. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh. the can same just, thing. Can I just make a message to everyone out there right now writing villains who are chewed the scenery, you know, uh, Keanu Reeves in Much Ado About Nothing style villain? Go watch Lady True in that opening scene. It is the most terrifying evil thing I've ever seen. Right. Whether and she's meant to be a villain right, or not. Right, exactly. No, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's so good. You don't have to be a villain to be a monster. Exactly. Yo, well said. <laughs> I, I just think about all her actions and what she's doing and how that her her daughter's possibly the clone of her mother being fed all the problems in history that she's had to deal with on purpose like she wants her to really suffer and know the suffering she is vite yeah yeah okay so that's a wrap all right yeah. thank you everyone um thank you everyone for being on the panel this was great fun and 
Thanks for joining us. You can find Next Issue at uh, on Twitter at Next Issue Pod, on Twitch at Next Issue, and on Facebook at Next Issue Podcast. You can find Clay on Twitter at Clay underscore Harrison, Kyle at Kylepedia, Adrian at Adrian underscore Harry, Daniel at Echo Spider, and Josh at Cosmosis. Hail Bebo.